We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Slate's TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, and I'm joined as ever by Mr. Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Uh, it's been weird. I've had a weird week, I'm not going to lie. You uh, want to talk about it, or receiving that for another time? No, I, I don't think there are things that happened that I don't think I should discuss in public. It just, it got really weird. Okay, then. So I'm hoping that's the apex of weird for the year for me. Okay, that's uh, it's a, it's an early peak, but hey, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, is it, is it a peak though? <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh, good times. So now you've, you've been walking. Your, you have a marathon walk planned. I do. Uh, I'm when I I'm going to New York in a couple of weeks, and when I get there, I'm gonna walk from Melville, where I'll be staying, to Manhattan. It's about 33 miles, and I've I've been doing sort of shorter practice walks. And my my I think the last practice walk really that I'm gonna do is from where I am in downtown Montreal over to Saint Anne de Bellevue across the sh- across the shore, um, or rather along the shore, which is gonna be about 40 kilometers. So. If I can do that, then I'm sure I can do Melville to Manhattan. But yes, cheer me on, folks, if you like cheering things. <laughs> well, good luck, sir, and I hope you do not get blisters, because those are not fun. And uh, I know you like your walking, so I'm sure it'll be just fine. I do. So we have some fun stuff going at the site. This The theme for this month, correct me if I'm wrong, Simon, is uh, Desert Island movies. Oh, I actually hadn't heard about this, but... Uh, it's it's a good theme. Yeah, so we cause we just finished up Hitchcock month, of course, and so that's what they're going into for next month. So look for a bunch of really cool articles up at soundonsite.org on that topic over the course of the month. I also just put up my uh, Bechdel test article, and by just put up, I mean like an hour ago, mm-hmm. <laughs> just under the wire before the podcast. So that's looking at the the TV networks in the U.S. and their relationship with uh, women or how they treat women and uh, relating that to the Bechdel uh, test and also to some, uh, shall we say, unthought out or some less than uh, feminist statements from one of the creators of yes. Two and a Half Men. Wait a second, wait a second. One of the co-creators of Two and a Half Men is a misogynist? It's crazy. Really? I don't know where you'd get that from his work at all. Uh. But anyway, so you can check that out as well at soundofsight.org. I had a lot of fun writing that. took a lot of actually research because I watched just about an episode of pretty much everything that's currently on TV. So, Which is insane, by the way. But, you know, that's sort of your modus operandi. Yeah, I, I can't seem to take it easy on myself. But uh, I'm going to have to this week. Things are going to start getting kind of crazy in Caitlin. So it'll mm-hmm. be a little more toned down in the next uh, few weeks. Speaking of getting crazy, we're recording the first episode of our Game of Thrones podcast tonight. I am so excited. So anyone who's listening to the Televerse hoping for 
Game of Thrones talk, we're actually going to be exporting that to its own show. We're going to be devoting a longer block of time to talking about Game of Thrones and then as a separate podcast. We'll, of course, be joined by Michael Waldman for that, and that should be, I would assume, so a half hour to an hour kind of length, and that will yeah, also get... Yeah, I think we're going to aim for closer to a half an hour, because an hour is sort of insane. But And you've read the books, correct? Yes, I have. So yeah, you're going to have a very different perspective, but you're not going to spoil anybody, oh, because you're not an asshole. I am not a terrible, terrible person, at least spoilers-wise. Okay. So okay, that good. And that will be put out on the Televerse feed, so if you subscribe to us in iTunes, then you should, or to our RSS feed, then you should get those uh, episodes every week for the next 10 weeks at least um, on in yes. your feed as well. So I'm so looking forward to that. And partially because of this, we don't have a spotlight this week. Yeah, everything was kind of on an even keel this week and none of it really blew us away. There was some good stuff, but, and actually I, I didn't find anything was horrible. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of yeah, on an even keel. So, so because that we don't have a spotlight, we're gonna take probably a little longer looks at a few of the shows this week, but not have a a, a dedicated section mm-hmm. to it. But we will actually, of course, have because we don't have the spotlight, we'll have time for a little bit longer DVD shelf. So we uh, had Eric Mendoza from the Sound On Sight Doctor Who podcast on to talk to us about Star Trek TNG, which is your first Star Trek series. Yes, although I have seen every single film thanks to sound on site every single star trek film <laughs> i oh. haven't seen every single star trek film so you're, oh, yeah. you're one up on me yours is a blessed existence <laughs> anyways well we should get into our week in tv there because there's some good Absolutely. stuff to talk about and let's start off with justified on tuesday measures yes which is not in the spotlight you'll you'll notice which does not mean it was a bad episode i don't think justified does bad really i don't think they At know least... how no, they've they've gotten a little bit close sometimes, maybe, but certainly not recently. This very much felt like the last bit of sort of table setting before the onslaught, what I assume will be the onslaught <laughs> of the last two episodes. I mean, the preview for this week looks Ridiculous, insane. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the last episode is called Slaughterhouse, mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's going to get serious. And, uh, of course, this week we also have the addition because we don't have enough villains. Of course. Uh, we have uh, Adam Arkin as Theo Tonin. I loved his one scene. Just a lot of nice little details, and he I, he just seems to be really having fun in the role. Other than that, I mean, it's... Yeah, there's so I, I actually spent an entire huge paragraph of my review just sort of trying to make sense of all the shifting allegiances and where things sort of stand in the and i have no clue where they're going with any of this which is awesome <laughs> well and one of the things i enjoyed uh this uh, this week on twitter was hearing from derek from the Site doctor who podcast uh talking about how you guys are apparently taking bets on who's gonna make it out alive or, or rather who isn't yeah <laughs> i mean most of the characters will survive but I, I i'm trying to think of how nuts can they really get like What's what is justified ceiling for insanity? And we don't really know. It's still kind of a young show. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. How many people do you think are, are gonna end up in a body bag by the end of the of the finale? Um, I'm not sure. I really I, I feel like there's a few I feel like Dickie is just a cockroach who will survive. He might end up end up back in jail, but I I, I feel like he's gonna somehow comically survive. Kind of like he did last <laughs> year. Um and I, I think that Limehouse I would be surprised if he didn't survive. Yeah. Less sure about Quarles. Quarles is a goner, I think. Well, and we haven't seen his gun jam yet, so That's maybe true. they're just kind of messing with us and it's not going to. 
But, but what's one thing that interests me is that because at the end of this episode he gets stripped by uh, by Boyd and his mm-hmm. doomed he have prostitutes, uh, he'll discover the gun, and of course he can tell uh, he can tell Raylan about it. So anyway. Lots of lots of potential and very little real in action this week, but I was glad to see Art get some play. Yeah, and I liked what we got with uh, I liked what we got with Rachel and Tim. It's nice to see them actually together because they I feel like we've seen each of them with Raylan, but not so much of them as as a unit. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. And I also like what we got from uh, Win Duffy this week, where he finally yes. has reached his crazy <laughs> level. <laughs> yeah, and I'm glad that they didn't wait till the finale to make that happen. So mm-hmm. he's like some sort of intervening force. Although we'll we'll see what happens. But yeah, so. A lot of shifting yeah. allegiances, a lot of stuff, I, the, uh, seemingly endless possibilities for the finales for the last two episodes. So I'm very excited to see where it goes from here. Next, I think we have New Girl. Yes, Fancy Man Part 2. Uh, you enjoyed the first part. What did you think of Part 2? Well, Part 2 has Martin Starr in it. So I think I have like a contractual obligation to like it. Mm-hmm. And I also like that. I mean, I'm happy to see him in any form. And I'm very he seems to be the one person, he seems to have this strange curse where he's got such a unique screen presence that he, that paradoxically it seems to sort of limit the work that he gets. Cause like every single one of his cast members, well, except for Linda Cardellini and from uh, freaks and geeks and from party down is now like uber famous or about to be uber famous. And he's still just Martin star. So come on guys, throw him a bone. Yeah, I do think that I mean I really enjoy Martin Starr. I would add Sam Levine to that in the underappreciated category. Yeah, that's true. I Although mean, he wasn't in Glorious Bastards, so that's got to be worth something. Yeah, absolutely. Um I also enjoyed Martin Starr a lot in this episode. Um it's so fun to see him pop up. I really liked his dynamic with Jake Johnson. Um mm. and I thought that that really worked well uh, and I I I mean you know, so in my article about the the Bechdel test, I was looking at New Girl, and I feel like New Girl recently has wouldn't pass it just because they have been limiting Cece to almost exclusively scenes with Schmidt, and I th- I'm kind of missing that dynamic in the show, her friendship with Jess. But I have a feeling now that the cat's out of the bag, as regards their relationship or, or Schmidt and Cece's relationship, that hopefully mm-hmm. we'll get a little bit more of them together again. Yeah, although. It's worth noting that I, th- I think the material with, with Lizzie Kaplan when she was around mm-hmm. was some of the most interesting sort of female-oriented content of any sitcom this season. So. Absolutely. It was really great. So points for that. Yes. So, so we, you know, we're liking New Girl. We're still uh, on board with Dermot Mulroney, yes? I, I, I'll, I, he's fine. I have no issues with Dermot Mulroney. He's just Dermot Mulroney. <laughs> then after that on Wednesday, it was Happy Endings, which I know you have been skipping recently. This was Big White Lies, and I had a lot of fun with this episode. Mary Elizabeth Ellis, or as many people might know her, The Waitress. The Waitress. Always Sunny popped up and was it was such a different role. It was so fun to see her in, and I just the the notion of this uh, like oppressively air quotes nice but really kind of controlling passive aggressive kind of character just being a terrifying force in our main characters' lives was was a lot of fun. Um, and anything that escalates to you know pregnant Brad and Jane and dying Dave and all of this is is fun in my book. So I had a lot of fun with this episode. Also, they again they had a lot of good stuff for for Alicia or Alicia uh, Cuthbert to do and she really took the grabbed the ball and ran with it this week so it was a lot of fun and I look forward to next week apparently the the 
the promo or the the first uh, five minutes of the next episode is out. They've released it ahead of time, so that is a good sign to me because the last time they did that was the Halloween episode, which we both really liked. So yes, we'll see. Where Probably the best episode they ever did, actually. Yeah, I, I, such a good episode. Um, next is Community Digital Exploration of Interior Design, and this is part one of two, and it's another show that you broke up with last week. Yes, and it, I'm sticking to it. I don't know. Pillow Fort versus Blanket Fort, sir. I mean, that's just good stuff. Okay. You see how I'm sitting here unmoved? I I'm, do, I'm, yes. I'm firm on this. I don't, okay, Pillow so forts be damned. John Goodman was back. He was a lot of fun just in his few scenes. I loved his ponytail braid thing. It was a, a lot of fun. Um, bringing, uh, bringing in, I'm sorry, I don't know the actor's name. Uh, I always recognize him as Keith from, from Scrubs as Subway was a lot of fun. That was really well handled. And uh, I look forward to the next part, uh, part two of, of two. And I had a lot of fun with this episode. I was... As probably, I think, the best one from since they've come back. So I was very pleasantly surprised. Next, we have 30 Rock and the Shower Principle. Is is 30 Rock trying to tell us something? It, yeah. It felt very much like... I don't know. How, do you think? Like, <laughs> it, it, it seems like the entire writer's room is just, like, st sticking their heads in the sand and just, like, flailing their bodies around. And they're just, they're incredibly frustrated with the show right now. Um, even though I, I still, I still have a good time with 30 Rock. I think it's probably one of the better sources for amusing one-liners around there. But yeah, the, the, the idea of theming an entire episode around the fact that Liz Lemon's life never changes and her dynamics with characters never change and that it's, I mean, it's sort of half, half-heartedly resolved at the end of the episode, but not really has, I mean, whenever a show pulls like kind of a meta stunt like this, I'm always curious about where it goes from here. But yeah, it wasn't. It didn't actually make for the greatest episode. The thing that I've noticed uh, about the writing this season is the number of times I felt like the writers have directly addressed their critics, um, and, and we saw this in the St. Patrick's Day episode with uh, with Tr with Tracy and Jenna. We've seen it with Tina Fey when she's talking about uh, when Liz is talking about her relationship with Jack and how. It is. It can still change, you know. However many years in, um, and and I feel like it's a little too on the nose, you know. I feel like they're addressing their the criticisms of the show, but the the trouble is that then it has to change. And you, you know, if you're gonna say I hear what you're saying, critics, and here's why I disagree with you, then the worst thing you can do is confirm what they're mm -hmm. saying. So, Although there is something I kind of admire the honesty <laughs> in, in a strange way. I kind of they seem to be saying, yeah, this is a problem. We don't really know what to do. We don't really know what to do yet. And we're in the middle of a season. I feel like they're saying this isn't a problem, though. I feel like there's that they're disagreeing with with that. I feel like they're saying it's OK that it doesn't change because it's still fun. Maybe. I mean, I guess we have to see where where they take it from here. But yeah. I definitely had this this sense of that I got like a sense of apology from it. But maybe it's just my shame reserves coming out. <laughs> I did enjoy uh, their Nirvana's and and just the notion that uh, Jack is helped by how uh, neurotic Liz is or how distracting he is. Uh, she is. Mm -hmm. I thought that was fun. Um, so yeah, it was not a bad episode. Just uh, for me, not nearly as good as Community this week. After that, we had Awake, Oregon, which is, I kind of, for me, follows a bit of a trend in some of the more supernatural shows this week, where it's about half good and 
half really annoying. So what did you think about uh, Awake this week? I would say it was more three quarters good and one quarter annoying. Uh, I, I think I maybe liked it a little better than you did. It's it's funny because Awake, to me, is it's doing a lot of things better than anything else on TV. It's just it it has these things holding it back. I think the just the quality of the writing and and the acting is just is just substantially higher than most shows of sort of its level. Uh, on the other hand, it does have some serious problems. I mean, like for instance, the, the, we get it, you wouldn't get on any other show a scene like the one where uh, Jason Isaacs is talking to B.D. Wong, one of his two psychiatrists, and they start because there's this whole issue with Laura Allen, his wife, who is apparently very seriously pondering a move to Oregon, which he's just finding out about. And so instead of being reactionary and you know, sort of get getting into this high drama about stuff, <clears throat> smash. Um, <laughs> You know, they actually they take a moment and think, okay, well, how is she feeling right now? And so he act. You actually get a sequence of these two guys sitting around imagining the inner life of this woman. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. You don't you don't see this level of sort of rational thinking and you know and and sort of calm avoidance of excess drama. Like that's that's awesome. Well, and also just respect. Yeah. I mean, it, like, it's, it's it's sad that that's rare. <laughs> It sounds boring when we talk about it this way, but it's it's just refreshing. Yeah. I think Laura Ellen was really good this week. I think she continues to be excellent on the show. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wouldn't say she's underused. I, I just it's it's too bad she's not in more of the show, but just by the nature of what it is, the the, yeah. the setup for it, you know, she's used the appropriate amount. It's just whenever she's on screen, I think she's really good. I mean, the, my, basically my problem with this episode is the ridiculous serial killer. Yeah, well, and the fact that he's called the Gemini killer was just like, really, guys? That was yeah. the best you could come up with? Which is weird because, and it, although it makes sense in a way because, you know, Kyle Killen's been upfront about the fact that he's not, he doesn't come from a procedural background. So it, I, I've always sort of expected the sort of police procedural aspects or even police serial aspects to be a little bit more half-assed, whether... It's whether they can do anything about it or not. But I do like the idea of a character who knows about what Isaacs is going through and can do something about it. See, That's I, I hate that. To me. No, you hate it? I hate... I mean, I'm okay with the serial, serial killer episode if it had been contained. But the fact that the guy escaped and now theoretically we're going to have this villain who's out there screwing with him and who's obsessed with him and knows his secret and... Oh my god, I, I really don't care about that at all. I don't know, I think there are some interesting possibilities there. I trust them to do yeah, something but, interesting with it. Yeah, there are some interesting possibilities there, but they've all been done by different shows already, and I don't uh, care to see them. We'll see. We'll see. Oh, ye of little faith. Yes, I have little faith in that element of the show. I have a lot of faith in the rest of the show. I thought mm -hmm. Laura Innes was actually good this week, and I was a little yep. nervous about her before, but... Well, yeah, because of that scene. Because but... of that, that one that hasn't come back yet, thankfully. Yeah. I th I, I'm hoping that for the rest of the show, they're just going to pretend it never happened. <laughs> you, you'll get it on DVD, and the scene won't be there. Hey, I, I, fingers crossed. Uh, well, moving forward, uh, we're doing the Vampire Diaries. Uh, you can actually, you can stay. Oh. I'll keep it spoiler-free. Uh, so you don't have to enter your isolation chamber, but uh, awesome. I would say that I, I like this episode. That was good. It's building nicely towards its finale, and uh, or, or I mean, they still have several episodes, but you can kind of see the gears coming in, you know, into into motion. I thought that it was 
there was a really nice misdirect with Sage, and I won't say more for spoilers, but I thought that was very well handled. And uh, Bonnie was actually really, really good this week. Kat Graham had a very, very nice performance. And I think just her performance sold one moment in particular where where Bonnie just breaks down crying because she's had a really tough year. Um, and, and Graham's performance was actually really strong there. Um, I'm ready for them to kill Klaus. It's It's time as far as I'm concerned. And I'm going to be really disappointed if that doesn't happen by the end of the season. Um, but other than that, uh, I, I'm really enjoying the season, and it's another good episode. So we'll see where it goes next. <laughs> I don't like it when you talk about Klaus Nomi that way. <laughs> um, next, we had uh, Supernatural, or I had Supernatural Party on Garth. And I will say, of course, um, my reviews for Vampire Diaries, Supernatural, and then Fringe as well are all up on soundonsite.org. If you want to get my fuller thoughts, you can read them there. Mm-hmm. Um, this uh, They brought back DJ Qualls, which was so much fun. Uh, he was in an episode earlier this season, and he had nothing to do. He was utterly wasted, so it was really nice to see them bring him back. And he's just so goofy. Uh, he, he has a really nice energy that co- uh, complements the, the guy as well, so I had a lot of fun with it. Also, uh, Ghost Bobby, it was revealed, so hopefully that means that they're going into their endgame and are going to stop doing really heavy-handed hints that maybe there's a ghost Bobby, because now we know there is a ghost Bobby. But that means that Jim Beaver's back, which is always a good thing. You know, more Jim Beaver is always going to help out Supernatural. Next, we had Fringe, Nothing As It Seems. And for me, my, my re- title review, the title of my review was basically it was half good and half bad. Um... And I, I fell almost strictly down, like, the, the time frame of the episode. was. It started good, and then it just got bad for me. Where did you fall down on this one? I'm, I'm trying to, to decide which parts you think are good and which parts you think are bad. Um, this was a profoundly silly episode of Fringe, <laughs> if you ask me. Which is, I guess, not inherently a bad thing, but just this whole idea of people volunteering to become an army of flying porcupines is even for fringe a little on the ridiculous side and also you know we get it's they thankfully don't hammer it in too much but they do sort of go back to the lincoln is secretly in love with olivia thing and that just sucks although i was very happy to see seth gable actually get stuff to do this week yeah and i liked his i liked his many 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 asides about the fact that nobody cares what happens to him or what he does (laughs) we care sort of (laughs) Um, I don't know. The did did the did the ludicrousness bother you at all, or are you okay with it? No, it really, really did actually. Okay, just checking. So for me, the the part of the episode that I was good with was the beginning because I liked that they brought back the porcupine monster guys. I mean, I, it was silly when it happened in season one, and it was silly here. But I think that the the thematic parallel to Olivia's journey and transformation at this point is strong enough that it was an interesting way to go. Um, Olivia is currently choosing to become somebody different and as she self-describes better and that has caused a lot of pain to the people around her and so to to parallel that with these people who are choosing to become the next evolution which is porcupine <laughs> which creatures. Which is apparently a flying porcupine. Uh you know, you know there's something there but then my problem for, with this episode kicked in almost exactly when they revealed that the porcupine creatures have wings. <laughs> Cuz I could go with you with porcupine creatures, but I can't go with you with porcupine creatures with bat wings. They wouldn't fly. It is not physically possible. <laughs> 
<laughs> the laws of physics say that can't happen. They are way too big and heavy. They do not have hollow bones. So clearly, those kinds of wings would not work. So, so wait a second. Your issue isn't with people looking at, like, you know, I'm going to draw you a, a, a bat chupine, like <laughs> the, roughly the size of a person, and I'm going to point to you. I'm going to point to that and say, "Hey, that's the next evolutionary step you want in." And a bunch of people are going to say, "Hell yeah." That wasn't your problem. It was it was that they don't seem aerodynamic enough. My problem, yeah, basically because I think you can find ten crazy people in a in a you know weak willed people who are easily manipulated. I think that's not hard to find ten people like that in uh you know several million of a city. And we don't see we see like four people. And I also you know the the as I actually unfortunately I made a mistake in my review. I I said something inaccurate about the 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 um the characters that I had to correct I apologize for that but the people that we see at the very end of the episode uh including Gaeta who you don't know because you haven't seen Battlestar but uh it was nice to see see him pop up uh the, the those two people were related directly to the first person and so you know I have the crazy kind of running in the family there and so that's part of why I didn't have a problem with it but just that one step by you know but Fringe has always relied very much on pseudoscience. But there's a difference between pseudoscience and magic. And right. the, and the pseudoscience is, okay, yes, you don't understand this, but theoretically, it's supposed to make sense. The trouble with that being, you know, so, so and that's like, it's like TNG. It's a difference between science fiction and, and fantasy. And this is why, for example, I say that Star Wars is fantasy, not science fiction. But that's a conversation for another time, maybe. Anyway, so for me, when it went to that jump to fantasy, that's where I disconnected from it. I also really did not like the the resolution with Olivia and Broyles. What did you think about <laughs> that? Just like, yep, yeah, it's all good now. You disobeyed a direct order and, and committed you're not a fireable the offense. We hired, but yeah. and you're somebody we've never met before. But that's okay because yeah. you're really yeah. cool. Because you're yeah. our main character, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm also just surprised that this seems to be the direction they're going for the end game, like flying porcupine army. Well, and then then you know when they pull out at the very end, and there's actually as one commenter described, I didn't even think of this, but it makes a lot of sense. A Noah's Ark of different kinds of creepy, you know, giant spider and eel creature and and such. Uh, you know, I just I really don't care about that. I don't want to go <laughs> yeah. that way. I want to get back to Olivia and her crazy special powers, and that's why David Robert Jones is obsessed with her. And, yeah. you know, I know it takes it ta- takes, you know, such a fabulous performance from Jared Harris as David Robert Jones and makes it comical. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah I, it's going to be really, really hard for them to pull this off without it being just completely ridiculous but i guess yeah. we'll see we'll see we'll see um next on saturday was spartacus which had its finale and you're going to try to keep it spoiler free for me as i recall kate, kate the show is called spartacus vengeance get it right oh i apologize <laughs> yeah uh i was reading an interview with uh steven denight who is uh, the show creator and he was talking about how he sort of sees the uh the titling for each season is sort sort of like a graphic novel way to approach uh, approach you know a serialized tv show which is interesting and actually i think it goes a long way towards ex- explaining the the appeal of spartacus spartacus from what i've seen so far does insane finales and this episode was no ex- uh, no exception i don't think it was quite as insane as last season's finale kill them all <laughs> 
But it was pretty close, including one death in the first five minutes of the episode, which I don't think anybody saw coming, which is a pretty ballsy move for any show to do. Usually you save that stuff for the last five minutes, but no, none of that here. Uh, I, I did think it was a little bit too similar in, 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 a, in a couple of respects to the first season finale, just in terms of certain uh, certain recurring recurring themes. But I, I, did, I did think that what they did with Lucy Lawless was actually kind of awesome in, in, the, in the sense that they were originally supposed to write her off. Uh, with with what happened in the season one finale and of course they came up with something a little bit more interesting for her to do this season and uh, I, I know that a, quite a few people when they saw this this finale said oh my god I now need to rewatch every single one of her scenes Ooh, that's is, fun which is kind of I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna do that but I, I see where they're coming from pretty epic battles I mean um, basically the the Spartacus finale so far consists of mostly deck clearing and we, you know, and the the bloodiest possible kind. So I'm I'm very curious to see how they'll follow this up next season, and how and how they'll have it not be similar to the way things were reset at the beginning of season two. I continue to find the dialogue incredibly repetitive and a little bit grating. I'm hoping that's something they work on over time, but it doesn't seem to bother anybody else. So whoop. anyway, it's 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 a bloody good time. I, I'm very glad I, I decided to catch up with Spartacus. Cool. I, and that's one that clearly I'm going to have to try to catch up with so we can talk about it next season. Totally. Uh, yeah, it sounds fun. Um, then on Sunday we had Bob's Burgers, Burger Boss, and I love this episode. What did you think? Yeah, this is pretty damn good. I think I can handily say Bob's Burgers is the best comedy on TV right now. Okay. I, I, don't, I, I have no issue saying that. To me, it's infinitely more both charming and funny than mm-hmm. Community and 30 Rock. I think it's... I think it's, I, and I've said things to this effect before, but I, I think they found a really nice balance between sort of sentimentality and and humor and just not going too far in either direction. Like I was, I was reading an AV Club review of this week's episode of Family Guy, and they were talking about how Peter Griffin is just like the worst TV dad imaginable because he's just such a horrible human being. Mm-hmm. And they found a really nice balance on Bob's Burgers where Bob is capable of doing awful things and 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 you know ultimately has to be redeemed but doesn't need to be redeemed all the way like he, ultimately he still does pay off the kid to 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 wipe the score because he just can't deal with it and <laughs> and that was great um yeah i i think they're just really on a roll right now and i loved all the video game graphics and the kids continue to be amazing well he feels like a real dad you know, he he yeah. feels much more realistic than somebody like like Peter Griffin, where yeah. he does really care about his kids, but he's also not, you know, fake TV. My only priority in my life is my children. He also has to run his business. He has to, you know, he's trying to balance his life. And granted, he gets in this episode, he gets obsessed with Burger Boss, which is just such a fun concept as far as I'm concerned, um, that that maybe he's not the most attentive and by maybe i mean he's absolutely not but uh it's still it was just such a fun episode and he's mm-hmm. such there there's a there's he's good-natured there's yeah. there's a good-natured quality to 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 bob and that's what makes yeah. so good, much of it work good-natured but not cloying like i don't think yeah. any character voiced by h john benjamin is ever going to be cloying because he's always got that that sort of gritty grounded quality and i just want to also mention Bob's Burgers does better dream sequences and fantasy sequences than any other show on TV right now. They're pretty much always fantastic. 
Yeah, it's pretty great. I had a lot of fun with uh, Daryl this week, by the way. I wanted to mention it. That's Aziz Ansari who came on, and he was just so much fun. Uh, yeah, so I didn't I recognize the voice right away. They, they tend to do a really good job sort of sort of cloaking the voice work and having it be relatively subtle. I, I'm, I always get to the credits, and I'm like, him? Her? Really? Mm-hmm. I was one of these where it was, he was familiar to me. But I couldn't quite place it, and yeah. then when I saw the name, it was like a, it was an yeah. oh, of course. Yeah, and that's how it should be. So that's how well it should done, be. Folks. Yeah, really good, a lot of fun. Um, so now to from Bob to a different kind of dad, I guess, Mad Men, uh, Mr. Don Draper, and this was Tea Leaves, and we were talking about this, and you said, uh, I, I feel sorry for Betty, and yes. I think it's a miracle. So why don't you expound? Well, and yeah, well, I think that. I'm not sure I've ever seen a show do this before. I mean, we've seen shows sort of deal with the fact of female cast members getting pregnant in a lot of different ways. And I'm pretty sure it's been done before where... Yeah, Frasier. Yeah, it, but I assume it was played for laughs on Frasier? Ish. Ish. Okay, fair enough. But it's not at all here. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's really that they, they tackle her weight gain with seriousness and with consideration and I don't know. I, I think it's the most engaged I've been with a Betty storyline in a really long time. I think because she was kind of a sticking point for me for a lot of last season. And I think there's actually potential here, which is interesting. I, I didn't think it was a perfect episode. They they really hammered in the whole youth versus versus the aged thing a little too much. I really didn't like Betty's uh, dream sequence where she's dead. And that was too much. But um, there was a lot to like this episode. Yeah, I think this is the first time that I've really felt uh, some disconnect from from January Jones and her in her performance. In that, I mean, I I know she's been probably the most maligned of the cast, or the least praised, maybe is the better way to put that. Um, and Betty has just always been so withdrawn and so closed off that that has really worked that I've actually thought her performance has very much fit the character. But this week, um, while I think she had some really strong scenes, there are also some other ones that just felt too mannered and, uh, and didn't, didn't really work for me. So while I really enjoyed her story and I also, I mean, even just the little details, like the fact that she has Henry turn around before she'll stand up to get out of the bathtub, just little things like that. I thought were, were handled really well and performed really well. But for example, her, her tea, with her with her old friend um, mm-hmm. I, I thought while the writing was good i thought that the both performances were a little too were too mannered i guess is just the, the only way for me to put it and so that took me out of what should have been a very powerful scene mm-hmm. it, it should be noted this was the first episode directed by john ham who I, I think did an all right job i wasn't mm-hmm. too crazy about the the, the crossfades which are which was weirdly out of step with the rest of the show visually. Yeah. But um, I also should mention I I really dig the character of Ginsburg. Yeah. I, I think he's a really interesting addition, and I love that bizarre scene with his father. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see where they go. I have a feeling that I mean, I mean, maybe it seems too obvious that they're setting him up with Peggy uh, as as a, a love interest, or at the very least, a foil. Um, but. But I, I think that's interesting, and so I, I look forward to seeing where that goes. And uh, yeah, it, it's nice to have some fresh blood that I care about. In, in mm-hmm. S- and and the fact that we follow him home, it seems to indicate that we're going to be seeing quite a bit more of him because we don't usually see the home lives of the sort of yeah. the male copywriters. 
for me the the stuff with the stones really worked i i thought i i I like that we're continuing to see don's relationship with megan get explored and i like that it seems like they have a good thing going but don keeps kind of screwing it up and so i think that's an interesting thing about his character and we'll see you know if he's self-sabotaging or if this is really you know it is they're not a good fit and it's mm-hmm. just it, we're seeing through the facade, but I, you know, and even just things like the uh, how del- deliciously terrible the the beans guy's suggestion is of getting the Rolling Stones and mm-hmm. that conversation at, at that dinner or or lunch or whatever with the wives, uh, Megan and Don and the guy and his wife. Um, I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, also, mm-hmm. I, I thought that the backstage sequences really worked, and just Harry is just such a loser. He's always fun. <laughs> I love Harry. I'm not gonna lie. They, I think they've been doing great stuff with him lately. Well, and I assume he's eating White Castle. Yeah. Yeah, everyone everyone talked because he got stoned and then he mm-hmm. ate some White Castle. So that was, a, and I also loved the uh, the George Romney dig. <laughs> I mean, I I know it was cheap, but I, and I I just I I picture them wrestling over that for like a day. They're like, can we do this? Is it too cheap? Ah, uh, come on, we got to do it. Yeah, it it took me out of it definitely. I thought it was funny, but I don't think it was worth. I don't think it was funny enough that it was worth how jarring. It is, so... Well, I mean, he was, you know, he, he was a governor. I mean, it's not that weird. Well, no, but they, they specifically choose which references to the time yeah, yeah, they're going to use. And so nothing else in this episode or any of the other episodes that I can think of actually relates so strongly to our experience right now. Mm-hmm. Well, as... at, least we were sp- at least we were spared Rolling Stones impersonators. That's true. I, I will say I like the little touch of having the girl backstage... So casually reference Jack Ruby when that mm-hmm. was such a big moment in the show. Uh, was it last season or the year or the season before? I really like that seeing just, you know, and, and also Don's reactions to being compared to Bewitched and some of these other shows. I, th- I thought that was really interesting cultural um, uh, touchstone to, to see kind of his journey through through the decade. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, there's plenty to like in this episode and hopefully, I mean, not quite as good as the premiere for me. Yeah, I I would agree, but hopefully, but, but considering back. we we had the return of Betty and it was mostly good, I think that's a good sign. Yeah, definitely. Then of course on Sunday we have yeah, also have the Game of Thrones premiere, which we will be talking about uh to on on a separate podcast as we discussed at the beginning of the show. Um, spoiler but, alert! It was good. Spoiler Surprise. alert! It's awesome, and we love Game of Thrones. Then on Monday, uh, we had I had Lost Girl, Dismember Only, which is the, the penultimate episode of season one of Lost Girl, which was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed the casting, and um, killer plants can can sometimes not really work, but I thought just the whole uh, country club vibe, which was you know again, Lost Girl continues to be very much a show that does a body snatcher episode the main characters do a fill in the blank kind of episode so this was the undercover at a country club kind of episode um but i thought they did it well and i i I actually sort of care about Bo's family now given uh the way the episode ended and that was uh not something i expected so i i'm looking forward to to that i know that for keith and some of our other listeners caught up with lost girl and really enjoyed the finale so i'm looking forward to that next week um then we had the voice the live rounds uh the first week of that and i'll just quickly say um i was actually rather disappointed 
in this, not because I don't enjoy the singers, but for two reasons. First of all, the music selections were terrible. They were just incredibly mainstream. You have the first guy who came out and sang has this really strong voice. He's, he's really good, but he comes out and he sings living on a prayer. So you can't hear him. He has nothing, you know, interesting to do vocally. And this is a song that everybody knows and everybody has sung. So the fact that you can sing living on a prayer doesn't mean very much. And it's definitely not a way to distinguish yourself there. You know, the, the final, final singer of the night did what a wonderful world. Why would you ever perform what a wonderful world? If you're trying to win a vocal competition, you, you perform it. If you're trying to get people to buy your iTunes download, which is clearly what they're going for, but it did nothing to show off his abilities. And uh, so I was really disappointed in that. Also, the the levels were just terrible. Um, you can you can I had trouble hearing the vocals at all over the drums and the bass and the background singers, uh, for almost all of the performances, except for when they stripped all you know those moments where those other elements were stripped away. Then you could actually hear the singers, and I enjoyed it. But a lot of the time, I was straining to even hear what they were singing. And if this is a singing competition, first of all, if you want to be considered a singing competition, not a karaoke show. Don't give all of your people karaoke songs to do. And second of all, make sure that we can hear them. Burn. Yeah. Strong words for the voice. <laughs> but uh, after that, we had Smash Hell on Earth, and uh, it was better. It was better. That's annoying, isn't it? I keep waiting for Smash to crash and burn the way I'm hoping it will so that we can all have a good laugh, and it doesn't quite happen. That's not to say that none of this was bad. It's not to say they don't try. Yeah, like half of it was horrible. I mean, I, 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 I still really think, and I'm sorry, I don't know his name, but the, I still don't think the actor playing the husband is all that great, although he gets slightly better when he's not acting around Deborah Messing. I'm not sure what it is with them. They don't seem to have good married chemistry. But, um, I mean, they continue to have Ellis around, even though he's less annoying, but he's still kind of annoying. No, um, he's not less annoying to me. He's, he just keeps getting more annoying. He finds ways. Oh, fair enough. I mean, uh, he's in a more interesting position at the end of the episode than we've seen him in recently. But yeah, the fact that he's still such a prominent part of the show is disappointing. Every, basically, anything to do with Ivy and drugs is just hilarious. Just bad. Just so bad. And to go back to Ellis quickly, uh, the only like the only redeeming thing about his character to me was that they had subverted the bitchy gay assistant stereotype. But then didn't they have him seduce the guy this yes. week off screen? Yes, they did. So, so, so now they are undoing that only subversion of the bitchy gay assistant uh, stereotype that they have him, uh, you know, filling. In well, services. no, now he, now he is the bitchy bisexual assistant. Bisexual assistant, uh, which yeah. I guess is a new stereotype. I I don't. It's just it's <laughs> so poorly written. They need to get rid of that character. And I, I mean, I feel bad for the actor. Because I don't, because he's just so smug. The character is, and so yeah. I don't know. If, I I hate the actor right now, and I know it's not his fault. I know the, that the, it's the the funny thing is when when the show first started, before we knew Ellis was a dick. Like mm -hmm. I actually liked the character. I was like, oh, this 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 guy seems you know he's got a good presence. He's kind of kind of a different <clears throat> sort of character. But then of course he got ruined almost immediately. Mm -hmm. I think we discovered this week that the secret to making Smash good is punching. <laughs> because the, at least half the cast just needs one solid decking. And, like, maybe they could start to work things out and we could all feel better about having just watched them get punched. Because watching Michael get punched was awesome. 
Well, I mean, I just, I, I, I'm just so frustrated in this episode with Ivy that it was hard for me to focus on any of the other stuff. Yeah. It's just, I don't know, understand what the writers are doing with her and how we're supposed to, what we're supposed to be thinking. Because uh, I, I can't, I don't feel sorry for her even a little bit because of everything that Karen says in the episode, but also just because she's so completely unprofessional throughout the entire episode. And I understand yeah. that, that she's dealing with some things and it's, she has a hard time, but you can't act that way and keep your job. So yeah. the fact that she doesn't lose her job and she, you know, it's just, it takes away sympathy almost immediately. Uh, I like the notion of the two of them actually getting along and Ivy sort of realizing that her issues are about her and not about this random person that she doesn't know. Um, but it looks like they're not going to continue with that. Uh, well, well, we'll, we'll see. I mean, we'll, we'll see. Although, can I just mention also that the promo for next week was hilarious to me because oh they spend the, they spend the entire episode this week listing off potential movie stars to be their Marilyn. And then in the promo for next week, Uma Thurman shows up, but she's playing someone who isn't Uma Thurman. Yeah. But she's still a movie star, but she's not Uma Thurman. Very confusing. Well, and also, I'm sorry, she's too old, and she's not the right uh, body type, and she, unless there's some secret out there in Hollywood that, that she's an amazing singer, she's not a good enough singer to be Marilyn. So the notion that this is someone who's actually being considered is ridiculous. Well, maybe, I mean, they could actually do interesting things with that if they feel like, oh, like, they, the the temptation to get a star makes them almost cast someone totally wrong, and then... Well, yes, they... but there are stars you can get who would be way better. Right, yeah. Well, but the thing is that we're not in the real world. We're in Smash we're in World. Smash World, yeah. Maybe so... she's an amazing singer in Smash World, thanks to the beauty of auto-tuning and, uh, and uh, being able to just hold a note forever in the studio, but... Mm -hmm. Anyways, uh, what did you think of the the number we got this week? The numbers we got. Um, I mean, I, do we know was was the one in in Heaven and Hell or whatever it was called? Heaven on Earth. Heaven on Earth was that an original number? Yes, I believe so. Oh, that that, that was cool. Uh, the the whole Times Square thing with the Rihanna song was stupid, but the, yeah, I mean, and then and yeah, and the song that uh, the song that gets Deborah Messing. Uh, sort of outed, which I also thought was stupid because if, if you were going to figure it out because of a song, why didn't you figure it out ages ago, dude? Or why didn't you figure it out at the thing that he went to go see where she was just, you know, eye humping the, yeah. the singer, you know? While he's another thing, about their another thing love. That, another thing that undermined that scene. And of course, whenever they have the kid show up, it's just awful. Even though he only had like three lines, but he's it's, he still sucked. Yeah, it was not, yeah. So it was better than last time. Yes, uh, but still but, don't mistake it for good. Yeah. Uh, so that, that winds up our Week in TV. Um, did we, oh, you know what? We forgot to, so we'll put it on at the end here. You watched the Werner Herzog uh, documentary series. Right. Uh, on Investigation Discovery a little while ago, they ran four episodes of a series called On Death Row. And it's actually the actual best TV I watched this this week was I caught up on some of those episodes, which hopefully are going to rerun on Investigation Discovery at some point. If you happen to catch Into the Abyss, it's sort of a televised continuation of that film. And if you've never seen, actually, even if, even if you've seen a Werner Herzog documentary before, this is a little bit different because he's not as present and there's very little wackiness. And essentially, he just interviews uh, death row inmates 
and as well as you know their lawyers the sometimes the victims families their families and so just sort of gets to know what the experience of of death row is like what what the experience of committing their crimes was like in you know in, in the cases when they're actually yeah these people are at least in the episodes i've seen you know very clearly guilty they've confessed and in the second episode it's it's quite shocking because he actually tries to confess to more murders over the course of the production of the episode and it gets hairy but uh, it it's a really fascinating series it's moving it's scary it's sometimes even a little bit funny and it's refreshingly it it tries to approach the 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 issue in the most apolitical way possible i mean herzog admits up front that he's not a fan of capital punishment but that doesn't mean that he has to like the people he's talking to and uh, it's just a, a, an utterly fascinating series. I implore everyone to uh, keep your eyes peeled on Investigation Discovery or other channels that might be airing it soon. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. Um, I need to catch up with some Herzog because that's a that's a hole in my in my movie geek. Hey, uh, he's he's only got about thirty amazing films. So, <laughs> so that that wraps up uh, our week in TV. Next week we have the Happy Endings finale. We have the Best Friends Forever pilot. There's all sorts of stuff going on going down next week. So. Uh, so I'm looking, looking forward to that, but, um, I guess some show notes and then we'll throw it over to our DVD shelf. You can find us on iTunes. We have an M, uh, M4A, which is a chaptered feed and an MP3 feed as well there. You can subscribe there. Reviews and ratings would be great. It would be so nice to, to get a few more of those. Um, we are also, of course, we'll have a post up at soundonsite.org. You can stream the podcast there and leave us comments. Let us know what you thought about uh, this week's TV, What uh, whether uh, you're with us that uh, Bob's Burgers is is just sort of trouncing the other comedies right now uh, or, or any of the other things like the Spartacus finale, for example, it'd be interesting to, to have people weigh in on that. Then we're up at current and you can stream us there as well. Uh, you can send an email to the televerse at gmail.com. Uh, we're both on Twitter. I am at the televerse. You are. I am at sucker howl. Our intro and outro music is sweet petite by the bicycles. And I think that's about it. Yeah. Oh, and I also, you mentioned written reviews earlier. I review justified as well as Game of Thrones in written format. And uh, so keep your eyes peeled if you watch Justified, because I should have a review up late tonight of the ridiculous-looking episode we're getting tonight. <laughs> and then, of course, I should add, uh, we have a new reviewer, Adam, who's uh, covering up, covering Mad Men for us as well. So He sure is. All sorts of different reviews up at soundofsight.org uh, in uh, film and TV, so go ahead and, and check it out. Um, but now let's throw it over to our DVD shelf. We talked with uh, Eric Mendoza from the Doctor Who podcast up at soundofsight.org about Star Trek TNG. So it was a lot of fun, and we'll be right back after this. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no one has gone before.
We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are excited to welcome Eric Mendoza from Sound On Sight's Doctor Who podcast to talk Star Trek The Next Generation. Eric, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So, TNG, uh, what is it that prompted you to pick this series, uh, Star Trek in general, and why this one in particular? Uh, Star Trek is one of those franchises that's been ever-present in my life. Um, science fiction is kind of a big deal for me. And, I mean, I, I used to idolize characters like Captain Kirk as a kid, but then when I grew up and watched TNG, I was really taken by just how complex and rich these stories were, and they were just sort of like in this sci-fi framework. They weren't, it wasn't a sci-fi show, it was a TV drama with science leanings. And, uh... This is one of those shows that I think, like, 20 years later, still really stands the test of time. So I thought it would be worth coming back to it. Yeah, with the re-release, for those who don't know, they uh, it was recently announced that they are... They, with the original series, they did this thing where they went back and took the original footage and uh, and upgraded it to higher quality when they were able to and redid all the visual effects so that it looks fabulous. And so they recently announced that they're going to do this with TNG as well. So that's good news for Trekkies out there. It also makes this a, 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 a timely show to discuss. I would agree. Both of my parents have this, this affinity for Star Trek. So when TNG came on the air, uh, it was something that, that my dad watched. And then when I was old enough, I, I watched with him as well. So I have a very strong connection to TNG from my childhood. Um, but it was so fun. I hadn't seen a lot of these episodes uh, recently. So it was so fun to re revisit some of them and, I mean, of course, everybody who knows, who has seen some Star Trek knows that, you know, the inner light, uh, some measure of man, some of these episodes are really good, but to, to have the overall quality, um, just really stand up for me was, was a very positive and happy discovery. Now, Simon, you hadn't seen like any Star Trek, right? That's incorrect. Um, I, I'd not seen any episodes of of uh this series probably since it aired and i was you know young and impressionable but you know very little uh a few years ago on the sound inside podcast or actually when um when abrams's star trek came out uh quite foolishly we did a series of podcasts on sound on site wherein we reviewed every single star trek movie <laughs> oh i i'm sorry <laughs> original cast um TNG cast, etc. So I'd, I'd seen quite a bit of of Picard action. Uh, the movies, as you know, are a very spotty bunch. Yeah, yeah. Um, then so of course uh, Mendoza here gave us a hit list of we I we 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 allowed him fifteen episodes, and then I wrote fifty. <laughs> I came up with a list of at least fifty five episodes that I thought were memorable, and I tried to include all the ones that people tend to forget, like. You you have all these viewers' choice lists and best of lists, but then there's always like the one off ones in like some random season where you're just like, oh yeah, that was a good one. But then I whittled it down to a nice clean fifteen for you guys. Yes, thank you. And, I, <laughs> um, and some of the best hits weren't even on that fifteen. I have to add, uh, so it was hard to do. I didn't realize how hard it was going to be until I looked at the list and said, well, yeah, right, you can't cut any of these. So right. Uh, so I, in a way, I kind of feel awkward about passing judgment on the show just because I've seen less than a seventh of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, anything that I say, take with a take with a grain of space salt um, <laughs> or sodium, if you want. Um, but I, I, I did enjoy it. I feel like 
Star Trek in general is such a weird universe just because it's so open-ended. I mean, just the whole the whole guiding principle of it really is just some people in space exploring stuff. And that's really kind of it. I mean, there's you can get more specific than that if you want, but it's so broad and it's it's really just an excuse for writers to play around with I mean, it's ostensibly a sci-fi series, but in any given episode they can toy with whatever genre and setting they feel like, especially, you know, with the advent of things like the holodeck, which actually wasn't that heavily represented in these 15 episodes, which might mean something. I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll get I'll get the worst of list to you and you'll find out why. <laughs> OK, there we go. Um, I mean, I feel like e- even the best episodes, uh, the, there's there's usually a clunker or two in the dialogue, especially in terms of exposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also feel like without the i mean i th- i think the 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 greatest thing about the show and i would guess what really separates it from the other trek series is jean-luc picard himself played by patrick stewart absolutely um i i had said earlier about my connection to kirk as a as as a youngster um captain kirk is the sort of hero i had as a kid because he's so brash and he's so um like headstrong and over the top but then captain picard is the complete opposite and like he also has his moments of of just impulse decision making, but he's so controlled and and Patrick Stewart brings this quiet dignity to the character that like it it gives this credibility to the show that that you wouldn't expect in such a niche genre and dignity isn't exactly uh in ample supply in all those Star Trek films. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's there. There is a there is another internet presence that had basically implied that the Star Trek movies had a bizarro version of Captain Picard that was obsessed with violence and killing. Yeah. And the humanist one is only in the series. And I almost want to agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes some sense. For me, because, um, of course, whenever you get you know a group of Star Trek fans in the same room, for any reason, if people discover that there is kind of like with Doctor Who, as soon as you find out somebody else likes Doctor Who, the first question is usually, okay, who's your who's your favorite Doctor? With Star Trek fans, the question is almost invariably, okay, who's your favorite Captain? And uh, for me, the conversation between Kirk and Picard is an absolute no-brainer. And I know that there are many, many strong proponents of Kirk who really enjoy uh, his style, but I would never want to follow that guy into anything because he'd be too busy checking out the Orion Slave Girls to notice that I had just gotten killed by whatever happened to be on the planet because I was foolish enough to be the red shirt on the away mission. Um, So I I absolutely agree. I think that, well, I would say that several of the, the series that came later, and I would note particularly DS9, Deep Space Nine, that is, um, also succeed in, in their, uh, as a series and as uh, being more than just the standard um, science fiction-y, you know, guys in suits kind of of series, the producers absolutely lucked out by getting Patrick Stewart. And I know that Gene Roddenberry did not want him. And it was it was actually a, a struggle. Like like the one of the one of the guys really fought for Patrick Stewart to get to get the job. And dear lord, are they lucky? There, there are several strong members of the cast, I would say. I, I'm a big fan of... I love LeVar Burton. I'm a big fan of Brent Spiner. But I, without without the, the the grounding presence of Patrick Stewart on this series, I mean, it just wouldn't work. 
not to put anyone on the spot, but do we know who else they were floating around as a, as a candidate? Oh, um, I know the one for Riker, and but um, no, not Picard. Actually, I, I'm sure, I'm sure the internet yeah, can sure. fill this in for us. But uh, yeah, no, sorry. And also, was he always on the books as a as a French guy? Because I've always found it weird that he's French and but is also clearly well, not French. Well, it's that's just like a. A, a film thing, you know, like uh, it's, it's the same way how um, Americans can't play foreign people, but then the British will always play the foreigner. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you could chalk it up to just it being the future and people not <laughs> having accents and English being the only language. The other excuse could be <laughs> that, that begs some questions. <laughs> uh, the other, uh, the other reasoning could be that he's actually speaking French on the show and we're just hearing it through the universal translator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. And I'm trying to watch the time while we're doing this because I know I will want to keep talking far longer than we actually have for the segment. Uh, so I'm I, I'm curious what you guys think of of the rest of the cast, and then also so I I know we did watch we all watched the pilot and yowza I think is the best term for that. Um, so I'm curious to, you know get your thoughts on on some of that, and then also if you have a a favorite episode, I'd I'd love to hear hear some your thoughts on that. So Eric, let's start with you. Okay, uh, well, the one thing about the cast that I've never understood is why they keep bringing Denise Crosby back. Um, I mm. I know that Tasha ends up being kind of an important character, but if you take her out of the equation, it doesn't really change all that much, especially when you look at her in Redemption. Uh, the, the two-parter from uh, season four and five. Like, her return as Sela was not really all that interesting. As for the rest of the cast, I mean, they're all good actors and very competent actors, but who sometimes have, like, bad writing or they end up being underused. I think Marina Sirtis and Gates McFadden, uh, Troy and Dr. Crusher end up falling into this trap very often. And I, I do know that like in interviews, they they made it very well known and how at times they were very dissatisfied with the, the, the use of them. Well, and it, it seems to me that, I mean, it's part of a greater problem with women in television, mm-hmm. uh, women, female characters, that is, wherein they're, I mean, most of, of what I see in these 15 episodes is mostly them reacting to men or being, or, you know, especially in the finale, so much of like so much of Beverly Crusher's plotline is just her re- relationship. <laughs> we used to be married. Yeah. And I'm going to do what you want. <laughs> yeah. Actually, for both female characters, it's like that. Oh, well, Troy's dead in the future, in the future version. Right. So, which is not that different, really. <laughs> Ouch. Um, but, pain. Uh, she feels pain. Yeah. I, I would say, I mean, it's evident from the pilot that Picard and Data are the best, are are the ones who come most fully formed. I would add Worf to that equation. Um, and I noticed in those 15 episodes after watching them all that I gave him a lot of time because he has an interesting mm-hmm. arc. Uh, he, he's, he, like when he loses his family's honor and then regains it. Um, and then they carry that over to deep space nine as well. Like I think Michael Dorn in, in, in that role has this really interesting, like very tough presence, but you can see the sort of strain that he has. Yeah. But I would still say that in the pilot, he's really more just a collection of attributes yeah. than like yeah. a fully formed person. Yeah, I yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, he's a he's a lot of fun for me. Like I said, I, I also I love LeVar Burton and 
it's nice to see uh, he's sort of the geek of, of the group though I gotta say Riker is pretty darn geeky with his with his jazz band you know which if you think about it that would be like somebody having a baroque music ensemble now and going hanging out and be like hey come come to my awesome show it's pretty hilarious um, <laughs> can someone explain to me what the deal is with Riker's beard Riker's beard um, happened in season two and it became a trope, which is the sign of when a show starts to become amazing. Season two wasn't that good, but I'm, please elaborate. I'm not really sure what you... Uh... What? Sorry, what now? Uh, I'm, I'm just saying, I was wondering why there was a particular reason they... You know, he gets the beard in season two, and it's just there from, from then on. Because um, he, he looks way better with the beard and looks less like a child? Okay, there was, fair enough. There was that, and um, from the, the real-life point of view... Um, he showed up between seasons during a, a writer a writing meeting, and he was he had a beard because he'd just grown it over the the, the break, mm -hmm. and everyone was just like, "Wow, that that looks really good on you," mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> and that was really it. it. It was just they thought it looked good. He had this whole he had a much stronger presence because of it because beards on the right people are great, mm -hmm. and then from there it was magic. Okay, just curious. I hope that it wasn't a terribly boring ninety seconds of conversation. I was just, I was <laughs> just very curious about. No, there is an actual thing like dating pre and post beard, um, and there's even a great cue line in one of the uh, one of his episodes. I liked you better before the beard. You were more fun, um, and <laughs> there. So, so for amongst the Star Trek TNG fan base, there is definitely like a pre and post beard situation. But I would say that it also does a lot to make him seem more mature and make him fit better, at least physically, with, with Jean-Luc. Uh, because otherwise it seemed... It made Riker seeming younger made Picard seem older. At least that's what I was struck by when I was rewatching it. So by putting him... Making him seem more his actual age, especially when you had Wesley coming up, which I'm sure we were going to get there. Um, when, you, when you had Wesley coming up as the, the young kiddo you know uh having having uh Riker as a sort of in-between stage I think worked well that's another thing about the show that kind of eludes me because I know Will Wheaton has this like big weird cult status and I mean uh, in the 15 episodes that uh that, that we looked at mm -hmm. Wesley doesn't really figure in yeah there's a reason for that because <laughs> Eric picked the best episodes he's the boy wonder <laughs> he's the Mary Sue of the show M Mary Sue being a trip also started uh, starting with Star Trek, um, he he's he's the character that um, the writers inject themselves into, and he can do everything, and he can answer everything. But he's not a good character because of it. However, he's still not my least favorite character on the show. Okay, so uh... that's wait, 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 wait. But before we do that, I do want to know who that is because that is fascinating. To, oh, I think I know who you're going to say. Actually, uh, that just I just remembered somebody. But I want to say that I do think. I know Will Wheaton has gotten a lot of hate over the years. I don't think any of Wesley's problems are his fault at all. I think that's all the terrible writing that he is saddled with. So I just wanted to say that. Now, do you mind if I guess your pick? Absolutely. Troy's mom? Oh, I meant in the main cast. Uh, but yeah, oh, okay. uh, Troy's mom too. But uh, funny you say that because Counselor Troy, at least in the first three, thir uh, three quarters of the entire series... I completely dislike. She's so useless. Well, and actually, I, I kind of agree with that based on what we've seen, just because, I mean, maybe they delve into it at some point, but her, I didn't, I've ne I never quite understood in these 15 episodes exactly what her powers were. 
And and also mostly her powers and you can like it was so often a plot point of just her not being able to tell what's yeah. going on. Um, <laughs> like there's only a handful of episodes where they go into exactly how her Betazoid powers work, but then most of the time it's they just bring it up because because they're, they're useless. Some, yeah, yeah, they're in some nebula and yeah. and it's blocking her telepathy. Mm-hmm. She's an empath. Is to to answer it briefly, that's basically what she does. Uh, the reason I, I don't mind Wesley as much is because he actually has, he's the center focus in at least a couple of very, very, very good episodes. Um, particularly uh, the first duty where he's involved in a courtroom case where another cadet dies on his, uh, on his watch. Um, the courtroom episode being one of the, some of the best TNG episodes. I don't know if you'd agree. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean... <laughs> Um, there's another character that I find kind of, kind of annoying and maybe it's just me, but I always just want to smack Q across a smug face. <laughs> and I know that's I the point. Q. I He's know so that's the point, fun. but I kind of feel like, you know, if you were really this all knowing, you'd probably be a little bit more aware of how smug and annoying you look. Well, uh, it, it's not alluded to in those 15 episodes and I'm, I'm starting to feel that I, we should have done 20 despite the time that we have, but, um, Q is sort of like a rebel within his continuum, and, and he sort of tests other races sort of against the will of, of the Q race, which is just sort of like this group of god beings who just can do everything anytime they want to. So he's just kind of a dick. Yeah. Okay. He, he... Yeah, he's just a dick. They don't like him either. They kick him out. <laughs> but but I will say, um, him his interaction with Patrick Stewart, John Delancey and Patrick Stewart, mm-hmm. make such a great contrasting like pair that um, even in the worst Q episode, there's still a good like verbal sparring match there. Mm-hmm. I guess my, my issue is that Picard slash Patrick Stewart seems more believable as a godlike figure. <laughs> <laughs> well, considering everything that he goes through without without like the the slightest psychological scarring. Yeah. You know he's got, he has some psychological scarring. He's messed up from like from best of both worlds, from inner light. These things stay with him, and that's actually one of the things I appreciate about the series. The, the some of the not they're not always amazing about it, but in general, the the major character developments we get for these characters are present through the rest of the series. They aren't forgotten. Yeah, actually, um, funny you mentioned that. I had realized uh, pretty recently that the best of both worlds um, pairing is, in a way, an informal trilogy with that episode afterwards, Family, which is yeah. Picard coming home. So you're right. There, there is a lot of, like, for a show that isn't serialized, there is a lot of cross-pollination with the stories. And I, I think that's a form of television that we don't really get anymore because everything is one long story in a season. And we don't have the sort of magic two-part episode to, to entice us every now and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can I can see what you mean. I mean, it yeah, there there's definitely serialized elements even just within those 15 episodes, stuff that carries over, but yeah, that there aren't many shows that have that balance anymore. Like you can't it it was one of the I I'm sure there's there's there were many attributes, but for me it was one of the last really big shows where I could sit down and if I catch it on TV, I don't feel like I need to catch up to to see it. Like every episode is contained within itself and it has threads all over the place. I, I think it's also helped by it's something unique to the show wherein because they mess with time so much, 
you feel like in another way it's not really significant where you're dropping in because time is so fluid in this <laughs> particular universe. <laughs> now, I, I, yeah, I have to pause for a moment because when I, I saw Best of Both Worlds, I'm going to bring it back to that two-parter, um, the first time, it was, of course, I was like seven or something uh, and it was on repeat. There was like a viewer's choice weekend or something like that. And that episode, the first part, scared the crap out of me just because it was just this notion of Picard who's like the ideal of rationalism and and leadership and all that is good being lost and so quickly and so completely totally screwed with my head and I would like when it would come when I would I would hear oh the Borg episode is next I would leave the room and go read a book or something and come back to to watch the rest of the episodes later and and now of course when I watched it this time it didn't have anywhere near that strong of an effect by me on me I was very well I thought it was still a really good episode I was very much struck by a huh why was this scary um but I I'm curious, Simon, what your reaction to that was, because you hadn't, you know, you hadn't had the build, you hadn't had the buildup of several seasons of getting to know Picard before you watched that one. But you did watch First Contact. Yeah, exactly. And what's what's interesting to me in retrospect is how much First Contact really cannibalizes that that uh, two episode set, and also how it kind of contradicts it. Because, I mean, as creepy and effective as Alice Creech is in that movie. It's the whole notion of the Borg having a queen is like yeah. kind of weird and contradictory. I mean, I think she's she's great, and it's still a, it's a neat addition, but it's kind of a it goes against the hive mind yeah. to have one person. Right, Picard being assimilated was was so that to, as they say to facilitate their entry into Earth. Right. Um, so it, it, in a way, first contact kind of dulled the impact of these two episodes for me. Cause the, cause it did revisit so many of the same tropes, although backward, you know what I'm saying anyway. So, mm -hmm. but it, it's still a pretty effective, two, probably the most effective two-parter of the several that you made me watch. I think it's definitely <laughs> the most effective two-parter out of all the ones in the series. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Cause like even, even redemption, which is a pretty solid set of episodes, I kind of feel like could have been, condensed into one episode without that much difficulty um yeah the first episode is kind of a stretch i find but then the second one actually has quite a bit going on i mean we have we have data in command of a ship for the first time we have the entire like insurrection on on chronos no remind me did you watch a uh, chain of command yes yes yeah because i was surprised when i was looking at this list i hadn't remembered all of the, all of these different stories i remembered the stories i didn't remember the episodes specifically i didn't remember them all being two-parters but i was struck by how many there were yeah and especially in the later half of the show there was just like two-parters mid-season chain of command wasn't a season ender it was a it was like the first half of a season and it was right before the christmas break 1992 i think I looked this, this up. I looked this up. You know this. I looked it up. Mem <laughs> Memory Alpha is the best Star Trek wiki out there. Mm -hmm. Shameless plug for them. Uh, this is this is a slight aside, but when I was watching this, I was really struck by how much of a time capsule is, it is in the sense of, you know, there was that, I guess, 10-year span or whatever when, you know, Star Trek was the CSI of its time. <laughs> and that just seems so weird now because, like... The priorities of the Star Trek universe are so different from the priorities of popular TV now. Yeah. In what way? Well, it's just it's in the sense of the way just the the universes of the show. I mean, in the way they're so they're so open and there's it's 
in a weird way, I mean, there's things that episodes share, but it's sort of an anti-procedural. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, they, they, you know, each episode tends to have a fairly similar arc and things are resolved and they move on. So it's a, you know, it's a procedural in that sense. But the adventures are so varied and yeah, there's, you know, a very wide set of recurring characters. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, it's sort of, it's not anti-formula, but it's certainly very, di- it's a very different sort of formula from what we see today. I, I think, I think that's, that's partly because of the genre. The difference between, like, say, crime shows is that they're very much isolated to where they, where they're set, wherever the lab is. But, but even, like, if you look at sci-fi now, like Fringe, for instance, mm-hmm. I mean, that's... Or I would say Stargate is another example uh, well, I, I very much enjoy the series. There's a lot more repetition of the same plot, uh, like the same beats. But if you if you look at Fringe, it's like that's uh, that's also a sci-fi show, but it's grafted into a crime procedural in a way because you know they're they're part of this investigative body. So in a way, it's like you know CSI multiple Earths. Is is, is that mainly partly because of like the, the 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 atmosphere of the times now, where or like in in terms of what good tv is what successful tv has been in terms of contemporary sense like we have 24 we have csi we have we had law and order and they're all very relatively speaking mm-hmm. down to earth shows mm-hmm. um and to have this mesh of sci-fi and trying to bring that back but keeping it within the familiar the now familiar realm of crime drama right i, I think a big element of it and uh, this it seems important to mention is that TNG was a syndicated show. It wasn't on a network. It so so it didn't need to you know there its success was you know based on each market and and whether or not individual local channels were going to pick it up. It didn't have to answer to a network head who was saying crime procedures are the thing, kiddo, or any number you know it didn't so that sort of allowed itself to be much more i I would say its own entity i and i do agree i was i was struck by how frequently in the show they really take their time i was reminded of even breaking bad this past season of how frequently they would just sit and let you watch the characters thinking and with at least with picard there's a lot of that in in tng and i think that goes back to not having to answer to a network boss the same way it's funny you mentioned that because there was a Star Trek The Next Generation computer game. It featured the whole cast. And if you went to the engineering or the tactical station, so went to La Forge or Worf, there is a delegate button. And it actually said delegate on and off. And you could just send tasks to them as opposed to doing it yourself. Um, and instead of like text, like dialogue choices, you could ask people for suggestions on what to do as opposed to just having picking them yourself. And it's very much like an episode where you'll spend a chunk of it just sitting in the observation lounge um, discussing. There's a lot of discussing on this show. Yes, yes, there is. <laughs> well, isn't that, isn't that thinking... sort of what Star Trek is known for, though, is talk? Uh, after the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. Although I, I do <laughs> think that the the one downfall of the of the dialogue, besides all the, all the exposition, is I do get really tired of listening to the the tech babble. Oh yeah, most of which is you know completely arbitrary. <laughs> and, and you just watched all good things, which is which is both things you hate: the techno babble and a lot of exposition. Yeah, like I understand mm-hmm. they had to set up all the multiple universes, but there's so much of the. Do you remember when you were captain thirty years ago? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, actually, th- that happens twice in one conversation yeah. when when he's talking to LaFour. It's like, it's like, oh, you've been here for nine years. No, 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 that's not what I meant. I meant how long has it been since we were on the Enterprise? Oh, 20 years. And the writer's table <laughs> threw up their hands and cheered. <laughs> now, we are just about out of time, uh, but I do – There, I, I, we haven't talked about the inner light, and that's such a personal favorite of mine that I'm going to take the time for us to talk about it briefly. Uh Simon, you had a strong reaction to the inner light uh, based on my Skype uh, message history. Uh, why don't you tell talk to us about it briefly? I need to stop telling you things. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I think that was quite handily my favorite of the episodes that we uh, that I that I watched anyway. And I think it speaks both to how strong Picard is as a character and and to how much stronger he is than most of the other characters because for the most part, it's just Picard's show and he's involved in it with this guest cast who you, I assume never see again. And it's just, it's just a really on a conceptual level. It's just such a strong episode more so than the other ones I watched. And it, it's, it's just got this, this feel of a of great short fiction. That's, you know, it's, it's very self-contained as far as I know, it doesn't, it doesn't really reverberate the, the, he mentions the story in a season seven episode um, because he's trying to court another officer on the ship, and he ma- and they play music together with the flute. Yeah, the the flute stays in his ready room for the rest of the series. Okay, but beyond that, like we never see Bataille again. We never see okay that, that whole world. Okay, uh, so yeah, I think it's just it's. And did it not win um, a Hugo Award? It won the Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation, and that was the first one that they won for the series. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I don't have too much more to say, but it's just it's yeah. it's. Uh, I think it has more emotional resonance than any of the other episodes mm-hmm. I watched, like by a lot. Did you cry? I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> it kills me every time. I just watched a clip on YouTube of the ending right before we started doing this, and I was getting dusty. I was like, I haven't even had the whole episode of build up here. And it's already just, 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 you know, starts playing the flute at the end. And I'm just like, it's okay. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't even bother me that he plays recorder at like a third grade level and everyone's really impressed. <laughs> well, it's an alien culture. Yeah, I guess. I was, <laughs> when I, I haven't seen this episode in a few years now. So when I, when I rewatched it for the podcast, um, I was shocked to, to feel tears running down my face. Cause it's been a long time since television has been able to draw that out for me. And, like, I think it has to be earned by good writing and just very good build-up. There's so many little clues that we get in this episode, and it's it's almost the perfect TNG episode. Except for, if I could change anything about the inner light, I would remove the cutaways back to the ship. Yeah, I, I agree. But beyond yeah. that, I, I don't know. Like, when Picard opens the box and holds the flute up to his chest and just breathes in, like, you just, you just, you can feel it with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, the cutaways are are there. You almost feel like like they were added, like you know they they had a perfectly good episode where it's just him in in this other world and like uh, new viewers might be lost, or it's like oh shoot, we're or, under time, or they might think Patrick Stewart is making an appearance on some completely different series. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, definitely my favorite of the fifteen that I watched. Yeah, it's, it's a fabulous episode. It's just, you know, because Patrick Stewart is always great, um, but that's one where the writing really rose to meet him. And, yeah. Um, but before we finish up here, let's go around. Any final thoughts, uh, Eric? Um, I think that this is going to be a show that will be looked at 
very favorably in the future. And I think it's definitely a hallmark of television. Um, and it, it's not just a niche show. It, it managed to make Star Trek legitimate in the eyes of non-fans. And it, I guess in a way it was sort of like the lost or the fringe of its time or, or even like the, the CSI. You know, it was, it was the show to watch on, on weekends. You'd tune into like ABC and, you, and there it would be. And like, like, for better or worse, like even the worst episodes have this kind of interesting dumb sheen to them. But then when it was good, it was, it was good. And when it was great, it was some of the best TV that you could get at the time. And it still holds up really well now. Simon? Uh, I don't really have... I actually just have one more question rather than, you know, passing overall judgment on the show. As, like, a percentage, how much of TNG, like, because it's, like, 175 episodes or something, mm-hmm. like, as a percentage, how many would you... How much of it would you recommend? Um, I would put it into a three-tiered scale of amazing, good, and then um, drunk watch. Season one. <laughs> <laughs> and then And then drunk watching. Um, and I, 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 I'd, I'd probably divide it like, like 60 and then 20 and 20. Okay. That but sounds about right. It is like, like I said before, it's one of those shows you can just tune in and it's going to be a reliable watch. Yeah. Um, for me, I've got several, I'm going to kind of shoot off here. First of all, I love the theme song. I, I, I absolutely love it. I think it's so great. I, and that opening the or just going to to that visual, I think, is really sets sets the mood and is really interesting. We didn't even talk about the ideology of the show, which is such a huge part of what Star Trek is. But I, I love seeing a show that has a point of view and sticks to it and doesn't care if if you find it too optimistic or unrealistic. But this is what the show is, and this is what it believes, and this is the future it's putting forward. And I think that's really commendable. And then. Um, we were bagging on the holodeck somewhat, but it, the holodeck does have some of my favorite episodes. Um, the uh, the PI stuff we get with Picard is great. The Old West stuff is fun, and um, it doesn't somebody go hang out with uh, Da Vinci, or am I thinking of Voyager with that? I think that was Voyager. That was Voyager. Um, and then the the final one I want to mention is I love Guinan. Whoopi Goldberg is so much fun on the show. And particularly that flashback episode we get where, where they meet Mark Twain and find out that Guinan was hanging out in old-timey San Francisco, just for funsies, I think is so much fun. But I, I love her on the show, and um, I thought that was really neat, spending that time with her again. She, she ranges from, like, very interesting, thoughtful character to exposition machine. But, mm-hmm. um, again, by far, the, she's far from the weakest character on the show. And she's probably yeah. one of the better female characters, really. yeah. Yeah, she talks to women and not about men. Oh, she passes the Bechdel test. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. So uh, uh, TNG is, is it, I assume it's on Netflix. Is it? Do you guys know? It's on Netflix America. I don't know about okay. its, its presence on Netflix Canada. We don't, Netflix Canada isn't, is just generally assumed to be terrible, I think. But um, it's, it's definitely available on DVD. Um, the DVDs are mega expensive, so go to your local library is what I would suggest. Other mess of licensing. Um, the Blu-ray sets are coming out, I think, probably once a year at this point. But um, having watched the Next Generation Next Level Blu-ray set, it made Encountered Farpoint much more exciting because it actually looked very, very good. It was all done by Industrial Light and Magic, I think, for that episode. Oh. Yeah. And that is impressive because that is a not good episode. <laughs> There's a lot of the first two seasons, just as a warning, if you're going to check out TNG, a lot of the first two seasons is just like 
terrible. I just gotta say terrible. Like, despite, you know, there's good things hiding, but man. Definitely hunt down a list online for the first two seasons. And then with season three, you can yeah. pretty much get get going. Fair enough. Good time. So, Eric, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can our listeners find you? Uh, you can find me at Twitter, twitter.com slash $5dare. Um, and as always on the Doctor Who podcast and Sound on Sight, and maybe in a column or two in the next year or so, if I find time between essays. Awesome. Good times. So that was another episode of The Televerse. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. 